Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 141 of Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George, and on this podcast, we hope to make following Jesus and leading people a bit more simple. We all know it can be complicated, especially if you work in the church or you are planting a church. And today we've got a great conversation with an incredible church planter by the name of Tim Selleck. I remember years ago, I hate to date myself, but I was an associate pastor at a church in Kentucky, and we were beginning to try to figure out how to navigate this up-and-coming generation, which I was a part of, Generation X, and try to figure out this postmodern world and reaching people with a new style of church. And I've been tasked to do this at our church that I was serving at. And I went to a conference at a church in Chicago, and there was a guy that had come in to speak, and his name was Tim Selleck, and he had pioneered and planted a church on the West Coast that was reaching Gen Xers. His voice, his style, his approach was just such fresh water and wind and fire for me. I was so grateful to hear him, and now I've had a chance to meet him some 25 years later. We sat down for lunch a few months ago, and I told him how grateful I was for his influence in my life, and he continued to pour into my life through his life and leadership, and I wanted him to have a chance to speak to you. I know some of our listeners are church planters, some of our listeners are church leaders, some of our listeners lead in the church so they don't necessarily work in the church, and they just need to hear some tricks of the trade, some things to think about as we approach post-COVID, what's church going to look like on the other side, and what kind of insight after 30-plus years of ministry Tim Selleck can give to all of us as people in ministry, as followers of Jesus. I know you're going to be blessed by what Tim has to say today. We are sponsored today, as we have been for the past few months, by two great organizations that help churches. One helps churches get started. Stadia, church planting, helps churches get off the ground. From a person that has an idea to a church that wants to plant another church, they can take care of all your needs. Think about it. You want to plant a church. Who does your books? Who takes care of filing your 501c3? Who takes care of giving you insight as to where and when? All those kind of details, Stadia can do it. And you can find out more on our show notes and at their website, stadiachurchplanting.org. Also, we're sponsored by a great organization that some friends of mine run called Growmentum. We have used Growmentum many times and in our on in and we are in an ongoing relationship with them where they just give us consultation on next steps. They're a great, great organization that help churches of all sizes. Again, you can find out more information about Growmentum at the show notes. So make sure you check that out. Well, today we're jumping into this conversation with Tim Selleck honored to have him on the podcast. I think you'll be blessed by what he has to say. Tim is a great guy, a man's man, rides a motorcycle, uh, and it's just incredible. You're going to love this. Here we go. Well, we're here today with Tim Selleck. Uh, Tim, have you ever been confused for Tom Selleck? (laughs) All the time. Yeah. Uh, all the time, but you know my spelling is C E L E K. His is S E L L E C K. He's six five, six six. Got a head of hair. I got none left. Hair 
and no size ever. Yeah. So there you go. And he's and, got that epic mustache he's still he's, rocking. Yeah, and it seems like now people that are between 55 and 85 adore the guy. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. TV, was it TV show Blue Bloods Blue or Bloods. Yeah, yep. Magnum P.I. though was... That was his yeah, claim to fame. That was his claim to fame. He had a, um, a collection of like made-for-TV movies called Jesse Stone, oh. where he was a cop up okay. in, uh, I don't know, Maine, mm-hmm. drove an old scout, which I used to have a scout, and uh, a dog. And I just thought, that is the coolest guy. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. <laughs> when ministry falls apart for me, I'm going up there. <laughs> I'll, I'll take his money. There yeah. you go. How's oh, that? my goodness. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's had a long, long career. Well, uh, Tim, for people that don't know you, um, and we've shared a little bit about you in the intro, but you're a church planner and now a retired senior pastor helping church planners, but wasn't always that way. Grew up in Ohio, wrestler. How'd you... How'd you come to Christ? How'd you become a church planner? Hmm. Well, coming to Christ was a unique journey. Uh, there was a couple um, in the high school I attended. He taught chemistry. Mm. I never had him as a teacher. And she was in charge of the, the cafeteria system through the local school system in our small little town. And, uh, and they were believers. And uh, I was the quote, uh, quote, what, BMOC, big man on campus back, back in that day, right? Uh-huh. You know? um, and they just, they prayed. They prayed, literally prayed me in, I believe, into the kingdom because uh, I grew up in a very strongly religious home, um, very, very dogged Catholic. Okay. Um, I mean, strong Catholic, like not like... It's hard to describe. We won't go too much into that, but it's just, um, it was really strong. And then um, he sponsored me to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp mm. in, uh, uh, in is it Granville, Ohio, Denison College. Okay. And um, there was a camp there. The reason I went was because uh, Archie Griffin, who ended up being a two-time Heisman Trophy winner for yeah. Ohio State University, was going to be at the camp. And so I thought, I'll go, because he's there. Yeah. And uh, little did I know that, um, that he would be a big part, just his, his, his talks, his testimonies, yeah. um, to me on the very last night of that camp, getting out of my seat and walking down the aisle. Wow. Um, that was the summer before my senior year of high school. So that would have been the summer of 1976. Okay. And, uh, but because of my background and the family, um, I didn't do literally anything with it, and it wasn't till the senior year of college. Uh, I was on a wrestling scholarship at a, a college called Marquette University. They don't oh, have wrestling yeah. anymore. They have basketball, but not wrestling. Yeah, Doc Rivers, home of the, Doc Rivers. That's right, Doc that's Rivers, right. claim to fame, home and, of uh, uh, Al McGuire. Al McGuire, Al McGuire Dwayne Wade, right? Do you remember that? Yes. Wow, I do. Yeah. Wow. So he was a guard, Dwayne Wade. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep, and uh, we played. Uh, we we would play one on one before my wrestling practices and his basketball practice. You he and was Doc? On, no, not Doc. Dwayne. Dwayne. Okay. Because he was. Uh, he he got. He, he made it out here for the Lakers for about I think one year, maybe two years. Um, no, no, Dwayne Wade. You're thinking. I'm thinking Butch Lee. So oh, that Butch shows, Lee. Do you remember oh, Butch Lee? No, I don't remember Butch okay, Lee. So okay, so there you go. See, that just shows you. Like, wow. We won't go down this way. Okay. Dwayne Wade. Sorry, Butch Lee. Butch Lee was like the man of the year. Okay. The year I was there in '77. Yeah, he was the basketball player of the year. Okay. Phil Ford. You ever Phil Ford? Absolutely. So him and Phil Ford both won man of the year in different 
whatever it was. So that's who they, they were yeah. contemporaries. Yeah. Okay. North Carolina Tar Heels. That's right. North Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, so Dwayne Wade, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, uh, we would ride up and down the elevator. I was in married housing at the time because I got married my, my junior year of college. And um, so he was still there. And we would ride up and down because the the basketball players got to be in the married student housing because it was course. that much better. Yes, okay. anyway. of course. So then the senior year of college, a guy from Athletes in Action, a guy named Mike Ziegfrieds. Um, these, I, I remember these people because they marked my life. Yeah, uh, I'd never be the same without him. He came down and shared a four spiritual laws presentation yeah. to the wrestling team um, after wrestling practice. And I walked up to him and I said, I, I think I've made that choice, but what do I do now? Yeah, And so he walked me through uh, what was called the 10 transferable concepts of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. They're okay. called crew now. Yep. And then long story shorter, um, he invited me to come on staff with Athletes in Action. Okay. And so I ended up on staff with Athletes in Action. Um, that's what moved us out to California in um, 1982. Okay. So all that. Um, and, and, you know, Mike... Um, the Bauer Soxes, yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't even be here, I don't believe, unless it was for, for mm. them and them having a deep imprint on my life. Mm. So you decide to move out here. What got you into being into professional ministry? I mean, because that's another leap. It's a huge leap because we, that was the, it was so fun. Well, it wasn't fun because when I got, well, it took us a long time to raise our support. We never did get up to full support, but they let us come out to California anyway. And then once I got out here, I actually ended up hurting my left knee complete. It was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, I don't even remember what the college is there now. Heard it, flew me back to Orange County, had total major reconstruction on the knee. Mm. So now they assign all the hurt, at least at that time, the hurt athletes to go out and speak um, to the high schools and stuff. <laughs> Cautionary tales. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, I literally um, did that and somebody heard me and said, you don't sound like the typical athlete. And mm. and how you're communicating, uh, particularly this one particular message, which was the four spiritual laws talk, mm-hmm. kind of dressed it up yeah. a little bit and uh, contemporized it. Yeah, contemporized it. And out of that, um, I started interacting with a guy who was in a- 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 athletes in action at the time, um, Kurt Neff, who another guy who marked my life. I still send him a text every year thanking because he said, "Hey, you should you should go into ministry." Mm. And I said, "Well, what's ministry?" Because I associate anything ministry-wise, or he said he was going to seminary. Mm. To me, that sounded like cemetery, okay? Yeah, it's very similar. <laughs> well, and I didn't, uh, my idea of seminary was back from my upbringing in a Catholic background. You only did that if you're going to be a priest and you're going to be celibate. Well, that, right. that wasn't going to work. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm married. Um, so at that time, and so I ended up, we were attending the church at the time. It was called Calvary Church Santa Ana. Great church. Still, still there. It's awesome in Santa Ana, California. Uh, and, and I went to the senior pastor at the time and just said, Hey, I'm going to go and start working in ministry. And I put together this whole internship program and I handed it to him and he had, he had a pretty high profile, uh, both in our church and, 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 and I just handed it to him and said, I'm, I, I want to be an intern here. Here's the program. And I remember him looking at me going, he just looked it over, pulled, uh, you know, and he said, well, we, we need to let the Holy spirit lead in these matters. Hmm. And I said, well, 
are you the Holy Spirit or is the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? And his, his look back at me wasn't real positive. But, you know, two weeks later, he actually uh, asked another guy on staff to give me a call, a guy named Sam Talbert. And uh, Sam gave me a call, invited me in to doing some things with the Sunday school system they had in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, that started my career trajectory as a volunteer intern at Calvary Church Santa Ana. And, uh, so from there, you decided to, you did that for a while, yep. and then you decided to plant a church. I mean, tell, <laughs> for those of us in the church world, you kind of got to have a screw loose, you know, to make that decision because it's just such a, uh, a renegade pioneer kind of thing. And uh, it's such a noble cause. What, what drove you to do that? Uh, Rusty, um, you got to understand something. The way this church got planted, so the, the church I'm on staff, great church, Calvary Church Santa Ana, a church came to them, kind of like what's happening around real life these days, right? Yeah. So a church is actually comes to them and says, we're, we're going to go out of business and we're either going to sell our property to Biola University or we, we want to figure out how to start a brand new church. And they knew of our church because there was a guy on staff at the time who had been the senior pastor for like two years um, and at that particular location. So they approached him and, and said, hey, would you guys start a brand new church in Costa Mesa? And I didn't know anything about it. Well, our senior leader walked into the staff meeting that day, and I had already been asking what, what would it look like for me to, like, what's my next step? Because I've been on their staff for five years. And, um, and so... When he walked in, he just literally, he walked in and said, we're planning, we've got this property and we're going to plant a brand new church in the city of Costa Mesa in the fall of 1988. And this was in March. And I remember, I don't know what, what got over me, but then like right after the staff meeting, I walked right up to, to my, my boss, who's a senior pastor at the church. And I said, uh, Dave, I, I want to do that. And... <laughs> That's what. I, that's how it started. I mean, I didn't. There was no prior thought. There was. It was. It, I mean, I said I want to do that, and then out of that, he led me to a gentleman that he knew, um, who had planted a, a good friend of his in ministry in Modesto that had just planted two churches. Yeah. And that's that. I started getting information from those two guys because they had just literally planted, um, like in January of '88. And uh, well, here's the kicker. So so like so. When's the church going to launch? This is March 88. Um, they didn't tell the church that they were going to plant until the first weekend of August 88. And the church opened its doors on September 11th, 1988. So wow. five weeks later from the time they announced it wow. to grand opening, this brand new church planted. <laughs> it's that easy. It's with no, <laughs> with no core, with yep. no money, but we did have a property. So, oh, so the prop, the the, the pro, two point two acre piece of land with an A frame church building, velvet covered pews, mm. um, incredibly dilapidated buildings from the you know fifties and and sixties that it haven't you know so. But when you, like you asked me the question, I think you thought there was some intentionality and intent <laughs> behind this. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So you were at the crossing. Well, it started off as. Uh, Calvary Chapel. Well, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. So, so Calvary Church, Calvary Church, Newport Mesa. That's right. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. Okay, so it starts off as that. Then you end up changing the name to the Crossing, Crossing. Costa Mesa, 
And this is uh, somewhere along the line, I think it's early 90s, is where I pick up your story Mm. because you guys, along with a few other churches, were really making headway and reaching what we back then we referred to as my generation, which is Generation X, Mm. uh, postmoderns, busters, Mm. all Mm. the other affectionate titles we Mm. received. Um, And you were doing a great job connecting with them by removing a lot of the obstacles Mm -hmm. that churches had. Mm -hmm. That became kind of your claim to fame, so to speak, as you became the West Coast version of church for people that don't like to go to church. Tell me where that heart comes from. Is that from your own personal journey and just something that, because I see that as the heart of Christ, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily see all churches have that, that desire or that, that style. Mm -hmm. You had that and have that. Where's that come from? Well, I think my own journey is really coming to faith in Jesus Christ later. I mean, I I look at, yeah, I I made a decision to ask Jesus into my life summer of 1976, but I didn't start the journey of growing until, you know, Mm -hmm. 19, what was it, 80, 81. Mm -hmm. And so I look at that as coming to Christ later in life. And and then when I was at Calvary Church Santa Ana, albeit it's a great church, it's a it's a wonderful church. But what I realized is 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 I would invite people. I was just a natural like I would invite people, and that I would play racquetball with on the racquetball courts uh, at, at Racquetball World in Santa Ana, and I'd bring them. And because of the size and how things were growing at the time, I, I wouldn't be able to always sit with them in my responsibilities at church, and I would watch their face. Across the the like you know the uh, seating, yeah, I'd look at their face as the people would get on stage and sing, yeah. and I could just tell already there was a a disconnect. Yeah, um, and so they liked me, and and they enjoyed the relationship they had with me, but they couldn't see the connection between that and what they were witnessing. Right, and and again, it was, it it just was more. Um, not because it was wrong or bad, it was just not well, not, not connecting. Yeah, and so. I always thought to myself, you know, like, okay, if, when I started this journey to plant a church, if we could reach people who are like me, mm-hmm. who, di- who didn't have a relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. who are like these people I was inviting, w- w- what would happen? And what if their jaw didn't drop and their face didn't look perplexed <laughs> as they sat there? But it would almost be like as if they just, you could see the the... The, their body just relaxed in their chair and they'd sit back and they'd go, this, this, this feels like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that literally started from day one Yeah. in 1988, fall of 1988. We, we said day one from fall of 1988 because um, somebody gave me a, a cassette tape from a church that was quite famous at the time, still is, is at Willow Creek Community Church, and it was a seven-step strategy cassette tape. Yeah, I have that one. And when I, when I heard the, the, the seven steps, everybody always associates with that church their production yeah. and, 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 and their musical quality and their weekend service, but no, seven-step strategy talks about you having your own verbal witness, making a relationship with somebody who's far from God, and then at some point sharing your verbal witness with that person who's far from God that you're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. It's not until step three that you invite them mm-hmm. to a weekend gathering. It's mm-hmm. all predicated upon like that kind of relationship. So right. when somebody gave me that cassette tape in, 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 in April of 1988, I said, that's who we're gonna be. Mm-hmm. So when you say like, how, how, did it help, how did it start for you? 
um, it started because I'd invite people, but I also, when I heard that cassette tape, I thought, well, there, there can be a church like this. Yeah. And I'd never seen that before. I'd never, I'd never, you know, laid eyes upon it. And, um, so we tried to create it. Mm -hmm. And from day one, that was the crossing. We, we were, we were determined that we would be a church for people who we'd always say it, who didn't believe in God and didn't go to church. Mm -hmm. Um, and we wanted both to be true. Mm -hmm. um, and so all these years later, The Crossing still is that. I'm no longer the lead pastor there. My wife and I attend there. But um, well over 40% of the people, because uh, we'd take surveys, well over 40% of the people who would come to The Crossing Church, they would self-identify as that was their first church of record mm. ever in their life. Hey, we interrupt this podcast for two very special announcements. One is we have a great, great resource for all church leaders to use on Easter. Every Easter for the last several years, I've had this feeling of, boy, all these new people have given their lives to Christ, been baptized into Him. What resource could we give them? Well, we put one together called A Simple Path to Following Jesus. It's available on Amazon, or you can also get it through PastorRustyGeorge.com. It's a very small, easy-read book that we're giving away digitally and physically at both of our styles of locations. You could do that easily as well. You can check that out, PastorRustyGeorge.com or on Amazon, A Simple Path to Following Jesus. Now, I also got something free for you. We are taking a 28-day journey towards Easter by walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and I've written a free devotional guide for you, a free PDF, and you can just get that at PastorRustyGeorge.com. Do this with family, do this with friends, sit down with your kids. You read one devotion a day for 28 days. You make it through the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to be so much fun, and we can talk about it by DMing me at Rusty L. George on Instagram. Okay, back to our show. Being in ministry is a very uh, fulfilling thing and a very mm -hmm. difficult thing. What are just a few of the things that you loved about it and few of the things, that, and maybe they're specific situations that were really difficult? Well, the first thing I love about it is that you get a front row seat mm. to eternal transaction mm -hmm. here in the earthly realm. I mean, the, the number of people that um, personally that I've been able to have friendships with and then see come to faith in Christ, people that I know in my great broader sphere of, of, of relationships who they've seen family members, whole family systems, the whole trajectory has changed and been altered. I mean, mm -hmm. where else do you get to experience that? Right. Um, and so that's, that's, there's just something wonderful about that. And, and the neat thing is for being a church, uh, for people who don't like church and don't believe in Jesus, and you keep pressing that, it's, that's the other thing I would say is hard. Yeah. It's just hard. Um, you know, I'd like to talk to church planters about going after the one, being a church for the, instead of being a church for the 99. Right. Mobilize your 99ers to go after the one that Jesus talks about in Luke 15. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Luke 15, and then if you look at Luke 19, when you see a one in Zacchaeus, mm. it's, it's, it's always problematic to hang out with, be in relationship with, eat with, um, associate with the one. Jesus got flack for it in Luke 15. And when Zacchaeus 
you know, crossed that line of faith in Luke 19, you would have thought people would have started texting on Facebook and, and hey, Zacchaeus got saved. Yeah. No, they're grumbling, they're complaining. Yeah. So when you say, what's the hardest thing? The hardest thing is, is the shots you take yeah. for going after people who are far from Jesus. Let's talk about that a little bit because I'm always amazed by that. The shots that you take for reaching people for Christ by people who are Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Help us understand that. And, and what I mean by that is, I think every pastor who's, who's reaching after the one instead of the 99 is going to get flack mm-hmm. from either the surrounding churches Correct. who don't like it because maybe you're rapidly growing or your insiders who don't like it because you've taken your eyes off of them. Mm-hmm. How do you make peace with that in your mind? Because I think for a lot of us, we go to bed at night with voices in our heads. And sometimes it's people from our past. Sometimes it's people that we just read their email Sometimes people will agree with us and say, sure, that's fine, but what about, you know, you're leaving us alone too or whatever. Walk me through some of the mental gymnastics you had to do in order to be able to manage the crisis and the chaos of people's criticism. Well, I suspect there's a lot of similarities between us, Rusty, but maybe (laughs) what I sense is, is that some of how we're different um, you know, now with church planters, they're, they're, they seem to be, so many of them are way different in age than me. Yep. And one of the discussions these days is the Enneagram. Yep. Okay. And uh, I've been told very clearly, and I actually have taken some evaluation, that I'm an Enneagram 8. So ah, when you say, okay, challenger. Like, what, okay. Kind of, what kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, what kind of ways do you have to live in your head to, there's not a whole lot of that going on. No, for me. Just, you are peaceful. Okay. So I'm just, just, so, you know, because here's the deal for me, our mission statement as a believer is Luke 19, 10. Mm. Jesus, if, if that was his mission statement, right. To, he came to seek and save the lost. That's the, that's the last little nugget before the transition in Luke 19. Yep. And, and the whole prior story that is representative of that is Zacchaeus. Yeah. The most despicable, worst kind of individual on the planet at the time. Hmm. And so I, I guess the challenge for us as ministers or pastors, or forget all that, Christians, yeah. is are we going to be followers of Jesus? Hmm. Or are we going to be those who please humankind? Yeah. And, um, and you know, I'd be less than honest. Does it hurt to have people who um, talk smack uh, because so-and-so or such-and-such is happening? It doesn't always feel good. But I think we have to tie you know, tether back to, okay, this is about Jesus. Yeah. And that's why he came. And he's the person we follow and represent. And then you look at, look at you know, Paul. Hmm. Um, Such were some of you, but he also talks about, I do all this so that some might be saved. Right. Well, okay, so do, do we need to grow? Do we need to increasingly become more like Jesus? Hmm. Yes. But, um, but I think you'll actually grow more like Jesus the more you go back and focus on the one. Yeah, I agree. And I would just add this to all of our listeners. Somebody challenged me with this years ago, and that is, do you even know who your one is? Hmm. 
And it doesn't have to be a list of people. Do you know one person that's far from Christ that you have been put into their life? Mm-hmm. Uh, missions is not always overseas. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's across the street. Mm-hmm. And are you praying for that person? Mm-hmm. Do you care about that person? Do you know about their life? And I would just challenge all of our listeners, do you know who that one is? Can I interject something really quick? Yeah, there? I'd love it. So there's a website called uh, um, the Home Bless 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 Home, uh, something like that. Hold on, I gotta find this because, and I know this is a, we're supposed to be all nice and tidy here, but uh, we'll just cut um, it all out. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> there's a website you can go to, and you can actually pray for your neighbors because I think yeah. what what I realized is I didn't know some of my neighbors in Orange County, California, just mm-hmm. because of the, how our street is structured and and stuff, and. Um, and if you guys would put that in the show notes, yep. I think that would be very helpful. Yep. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, and, it's, a, it's a great site. I can't think of the name of it either, but I think it is Blessed Home or um, something like that. Yeah, and we're so. going to do a whole series on this too. And, okay. Um, definitely. I love that. Okay. Let me ask you this. Uh, you're a father to two girls. We have that in common. And uh, two grandkids now, yep. right? Two mm-hmm. grandsons. Um, you had to balance ministry and home for many years. What would you tell uh, pastors right now about how to do that? Well, somebody told me one time that you you have to begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And if you hang around some of the people who know me pretty well, um, I would always communicate to the church that I founded that we could grow a church, but if we grow the church at the expense of my marriage, then I I will have fallen short. Because Mm. my marriage in Ephesians 5 is supposed to be some sort of type Mm. or or example of Jesus's heart for the church. Mm. And so if I'm not exhibiting that, so um, the one one area I I wanted, when I decided to hand off the lead leadership role of the Crossing Church two years ago on its 30th birthday, I wanted my marriage to be in the best place and the best marriage of all time. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that came about because I, I said it in my heart. It's like, what, 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 you, what do you intend? Setting your attention to say, okay, what's the end? The end is I'm going to have a good marriage. So I got to, I got to build into that marriage. I got to pour into that. I've got to set aside time for, and then, you know, I'll, the the kids, I would say planting a church was hard, particularly on the kids. Mm -hmm. My biggest regrets were that there were stretches and seasons where we didn't have the, the best student ministry. Mm. Um, we we didn't have the best maybe older elementary ministry. And now looking back at it, um, I know some people would say, well, as a, as the lead guy, you should choose to make that a priority because it's your kids who are there. And I and I didn't always make that the focus or the priority. Um, and so my marriage, like ten, mm-hmm. my parenting, uh, it while they, my girls would say they love me deeply, they we hang out a lot. We still attend the same church, but there was a lot of bumps and a lot of turbulence yeah. to get to that point now. And there, one's 36, one's 30, 34. Mm. So um, I'm not sure I did as well with my girls, mm. but I know that with my marriage, I knew my kids are going to leave the house anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would tell every pastor, 
you got to begin with the end in mind. If you want a great marriage, then you do the things daily yeah. that, and weekly and monthly and quarterly and annually that are going to build into that, right. that marriage. And so I know true. that sounds too simplistic. No, it's, it, it's, it's not simplistic and it's very difficult to do, but it's great to be reminded of it mm-hmm. as well. Okay, last question. For church planters out there, just give a little bit of advice. I mean, you've done it, though it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now you're working with Stadia and helping church planters in their journey and what it is they're dealing with. Um, I mean, it's, it's a different world. Now, criticism isn't just coming on Sunday or from a letter you get in the mail. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's, it's on a Yelp review about your church. Um, there's so much tendency for comparison. Now I can feel pretty good about a Sunday, go home and scroll through Instagram and see Stephen Furtick baptized 6,000 people. (laughs) And I think I'm a worthless, you know? So, uh, help our church planners. What do they need to know? Well, I want to just say first off, um, and I'm not a company guy, but I deeply appreciate Stadia. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are listening, stadiachurchplanting.org, if you have any interest, any thought, any, any pondering about church planting, go to stadiachurchplanting.org. Because um, I'll tell you right now, uh, and there's great church planting organizations out there. I just got off a coaching call this morning with a couple who represent, uh, they're like NASCAR church planters. They've got a lot of stickers on their, on their car, so to speak, you know, from all the different organizations. Um, they told me hands down, and not because I'm just sitting in the coaching call, but hands down, and they shared why it is that, that Stadia was literally the best. Mm. And so the first thing I would just say is make sure you hook your wagon. Mm-hmm. To the right organization. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just going to say this, like Stadia is like, it, it's the best. There is nobody that does the discovery process trying to help you assess even before you get into an assessment. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. So, so like hook yourself to the right organization. And then I would say, make sure you go through an assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, an assessment is critical. And I would just say the, the best assessment out there is what we call CPAC at Stadia. Mm-hmm. Other organizations do it, but nobody does it quite the same, um, with the same rigor, with the same kind of evaluations that Stadia does. Mm-hmm. Um, a third thing, and I, I this think this is critical, is make sure you, when you're thinking about planting and you've been assessed and they give you the green light, have a mentor who's planted, planted, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's gone before you, because that person will be able to provide perspective. Mm-hmm. Because the journey you're embarking on, it, it's going to have a lot of highs, but I, yeah. I just tell you right at the outset, it's going to have some lows. Yep. Um, and then next, you got to have a team. Mm-hmm. If you're starting a brand new site or a brand new campus, team is critical. So launching not by yourself, but with, with a team, with a team of people who are united in heart, mind, and soul around vision. Mm. Um, and, and they pursue that vision literally all together. Um, a couple more that I, I think are, are so important is be careful that in the early days of church planting, as you're developing your processes, that you don't include f- financial generosity. Because it's like y- you've got to realize it takes money to start a church so make sure that you always keep that as a target for you. 
And remember that when you ask people to support the vision that God's put in your heart, that that's a, that's a, that's a completely holy spiritual endeavor. Mm-hmm. You, you are inviting somebody in to literally be the most like God they can be because they're a giver. Mm-hmm. So don't ever shy back from asking somebody to be involved in your work. Mm. Um, but be careful that you only, um, you only take on outside funding. And then last two things I would just say when it comes to planting, be careful how quickly you include internal governance structures. Yeah. Um, because your first year to two, those people are your scaffolding people. Mm-hmm. They're going to help you get off the ground. They're the pioneers that God has put alongside of you. But you, the real fruit of your church plant is going to come in year three, four, five, and six. Mm. And now you'll see the people who you, you've, you've won to Christ, you're starting to grow them up in Christ, and, and they're going to be the, 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 the Navy SEALs yeah. for your organization going forward. That's so well said. And the, the idea that just because you open your doors and a group of people gathered, now you have a church, it's a crowd for a while. Then it turns into a congregation mm-hmm. and then into a church sure. and the core and so on and so forth. And, and unfortunately, and I, I think the quicker leaders understand this, the people that start with you are usually not the people that finish with you. That's right. And people are there for a reason, a season, some, very few, a lifetime. But I'm an Enneagram six. Okay. So the loyalty thing is so huge for me. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody leaves, I take it personal and I go see a counselor and <laughs> contemplate quitting, you know, all yeah, the things. Yeah. I'm not an eight, um, but uh, I admire you eights that can just look at somebody and say, there's the door, you know, <laughs> good for you. Um, but no matter how you're wired and the CPAC does so well at helping you identify who you are mm-hmm. to know where your weaknesses are going to be. That's, mm-hmm. that's so crucial. So Stadia is obviously a, a, a sponsor of the show and we'll link to them in the show notes. But as I say all the time on here, if you're interested in church planning, check out Stadia. If you're interested in planting in California, talk to me. And I'll get you hooked up with Stadia because we want to plant 30 churches by the year 2030. So, uh, Tim, thank you for this. Thanks for your legacy. Thanks for all you've done and continue to do for churches and uh, for just being a great guy. I appreciate it. Well, you know, Rusty, you're thanking me. Um, We need more lead pastors like you who have a heart to multiply. Thank you. Um, You know, I don't know if people realize it who are listening right now. Only 7% of churches, only 7% of churches... Um, will ever multiply. Yeah. And so here's real life being led um, with your giftings and your personality and the Holy Spirit's power, you know, supernaturally coursing through you. And, and you're seeing a difference made because you're willing to multiply, which means you have to be willing to let go hmm. of, of resources, um, people, mm-hmm. to see new works happen. And so, uh, man, I tell you, all of you who just heard what Wesley said, yeah, come to real life. Uh, hook your, you know, wagon here, yeah. uh, because you 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 will be embraced to go do some really big things for God. Thank you. Well, that was such rich stuff. I just hope that it might have sparked a, a desire for some of you to at least support church planting, uh, even if you are not a church planter. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. With that goal. 
And some of you are church planners and you just need a little bit of assistance. Grow Mentum can help out, but I'd love to help out too. Email me, rgeorge at reallifechurch.org. Let me see how I can support you as well. Well, next week we'll be back with a brand new episode. We're approaching Easter. And last year I had a chance to sit down with an individual who happens to help run the organization out of LA known as Jews for Jesus. He's a guy that grew up Jewish, became a Christ follower, considers himself a Messianic Jew. I had a chance to go to Israel with Tuvia. He's incredible. And we had a conversation last year about what the Passover can teach Christians. I think you're going to be blessed by this. So we're going to rerun that next week, and it's going to be really, really helpful as we approach Holy Week. So thanks for listening. As always, subscribe to the podcast and share. And you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed because we got a bonus episode coming next week. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.